Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by Media Clip, Advertech Printing, and IP Labs. Hello again and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. I'm your host, Gary Peugeot, and today we're joined by Viate Chalette, who's a former photographer and business owner who sold her business and is now a growth architect and consultant. Hi, Beate. How are you today? I'm excited to be here, Gary, especially talking about what we're going to be talking about, something I'm super passionate about, anything around images, photography, printing, making the world better by giving people something beautiful to look at. So tell me first your story, because I think that in itself leading up to this point is kind of fascinating. You know, you, uh, <laughs> I don't want to preempt you by uh, telling your story before you do. So why don't you start? Yeah, so I'm originally from Germany. I am by trade a photographer. So I did go to photo school in Munich, the Institute of Photo Design. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I found out, or fortunately, I found out pretty quickly that in order to be a really good photographer, it would take time, money, effort, and probably a lot of hardship because I understood that in order to have a style, you really needed to work on that. And I just was naturally really good at the business side of things. So it was very easy for me to to understood what needed to be done on the business side to make the photography work. And so ultimately, I choose relatively quickly that I was going to go into that route and became a photo editor, ended up a photo editor at Elle magazine when I was 23 years old and ran nice. the photo department, which is in everybody's book, a great job. It unfortunately bored me to tears. Not all that not, beauty all day. Just it's it's very depressing, I'm sure. Gary, it's really kind of like what people say about the fashion industry and the women in the fashion industry. And sadly, a lot of it at that time certainly was true. And I found it not a compelling place to be. And so I, you know, my dad got fired. I realized that I had a lot of the traits that he had, and I was not a very nice person that people would do everything for me because of the job that I was in, but not of the person I was. And then I, at 23, decided was going to immigrate to the United States and become a person that I liked. Wow. So where did you relocate to? Los Angeles, of all places. So first I went to Key West. I was on a houseboat without water and electricity just to, you know, (laughs) learn how to deal with my own uh, crap. And, uh, be, you know, off all this other nonsense and settle. And then I moved to Los Angeles and started working as a photographer rep. Mm -hmm. So what happened is then I went and started a production company for this other organization. And Levi Strauss was my first client as a producer in LA. And I asked him, how did you find me? And they said, somebody says, call Beate in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if you can find me in a city of 13 million people, just because somebody says, call Beate, Mm -hmm. I must put this in my business name. And that's how Beate works as a name was was born. Mm -hmm. Because then I was laid off and I got into business by myself. I was uh, overcoming a lot of adversity in 10 years, fires, floods, riots, earthquakes, a tsunami that had one of my key vendors, the photographer, Bernardo Fengochia, vanished in the tsunami. Oh, no. And um, that was was absolutely horrible. My father died, and I found myself $135,000 in debt. 
with a great idea how to run a business, the stock photography syndication specialized in architecture and interior photography mm-hmm. and celebrity at home stories. And then I had to crack the code and figure out how I'm going to make it work. Right. So kind of the time frame. what was the time frame around this? Because for a while there, stock photography was like a super hot area, kind of in the transition from, you know, I remember looking through books and CDs and slide books. I mean, that's how old I am. So what was the um, time frame around then? Yeah, so I sold my business in 2006, which okay. was literally the, the last wave of acquisitions in in stock photography. I think after I sold my business, the market imploded six months later when photography due to the digital revolutions, how we, we called it back then, which, you know, ages me obviously as well, um, <laughs> had completely devalued the images, you know, and be, and they became commodities. But we did mm-hmm. see this coming. We knew mm-hmm. this was coming. It was in, inevitable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if we go back for that, so it was 10 years prior to that. So it was from 1996 to 2006, where I really went through a lot of trial and error and trying to figure out how does it work. And what I find important to point out is that from me being a photographer to then becoming an artist representative to going into production to then really aging out of production. And I lost my production business in September 11th in one day, mm-hmm. one day I lost a half a million dollars. And then, you know, going into an equity based business, going into stock photography, building that up to a seven figure business, and then finding out that photography is going to be commoditized and then figuring out what do we need to do to exit as quickly as possible while the market hasn't caught on to that yet. And then the whole thing imploded. And then what do you do afterwards? So that's Mm -hmm. really the journey. So what were the signs that you saw in the market then that indicated to you it was going to implode? Because I'm sure that, you know, there were a lot of people in that space who were, you know, trying to figure out. And of course, you know, I, I remember when this was going on and there was sort of this idea that, you know, yeah, there'll be some cheap digital stuff available, but, you know, people will still pay for the high quality stock stuff, the unique look and all that. And clearly there is some of that, but it wasn't, wasn't enough to sustain the market as it was. Subscription models to answer that. It was the subscription models. Once, once Getty rolled out their subscription models, we knew it was over. I mean, look, we, we, we heard about people that would sit that were hired to download as many images as possible randomly on a subscription at some of these corporations just to create their internal database. Then we found out that they were building internal digital databases based on the tens of thousands of images that they were downloading, basically utilizing our stuff that they now had legally downloaded within their subscription period but had not used it and it would sit, sit there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking to myself, this is a copyright nightmare. I mean, how is anybody in their own right mind putting this out? And then the same image is in 60 different databases. Right. And so how can it be anything other than a price erosion? Because if I can get it at Shutterfly for, for this much, if I can get it at Nonstock for that, if I get it at Getty for this, if I get it at Corbis for that, mm-hmm. well, I would go with the lowest Provider, yeah. of course, it's the same image. Tell me a little bit about the sale of your business. I mean, how, how did you go about finding a buyer for Biate? So what we did is we had a high-end selective image collection, and 
we had a distributor. So Getty Images, that took me a long time to get that distribution deal, but they were distributing our high images. We had a division that was doing Celebrity Homes, which was doing extremely well, a great business model. You get Madonna's house, Francis Ford Coppola, Simon Baker, Julian Moore, Seal. You have that house, you sell that house 30, 40, 50 times, sometimes over a period. And people don't even care if that celebrity still lives there because there's secondary markets and tertiary markets and so Mm. forth. Right. And then we realized that we had a lot of images we couldn't use and we built a stock photography, uh, a royalty-free brand called Inside Outpicks. And at that point, I already knew what was happening. And so we put the money in, we built the Inside Outpicks brand. We launched it. We threw a party at the CPIC conference, you know, to get people interested in what we were doing. So they knew we were a serious player in this particular market. And at that time, I was having conversations and saying, I'm putting myself up for for acquisition. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, we had Jupiter Images, which uh, made me an offer that was just shit. And uh, (laughs) and then and 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 Getty Images uh, declined and Corbis made me a very good offer because the celebrity aspect of it was what they were trying to to grow their outline brand with because outline was a high touch high touch brand, which really wasn't the Corbis model. It was a smaller agency model. And so we were the literally the only brand out there that could help them to move the needle in that respect at all. And so you got something you needed. Did they did that work for them as far as what Corbis wanted out of it? Yeah. So Corbis thought that this would be growing the outline brand, which mm-hmm. ultimately it didn't do because the business model of outline and Corbis just did not gel together okay. because it's a, a high touch celebrity brand with uh publicists, temperamental celebrities. Yeah. That at that time right. wanted to, to get paid for having their house featured in an right. editorial. Um, I remember a very unpleasant conversation with Cindy Crawford, who I dislike to this day for that, but that's a personal note. And what the thing was that Corbis did not want is the thing that made them the money ultimately, which was our high end images of interior and architectural images. I had calculated that their ROI would be three years and Mm -hmm. their ROI was exactly three years. They did make that money back. That was important to me. Good, good. So then after the sale, what do you do? You've kind of spent a lot of time in the photography business, you know, a little bit in front of the camera, most of it behind it, you know, building businesses, doing different things. Now you've made it, you know, you've exited. What is your thought process then? Uh, let's go shopping. Let's spend <laughs> spend obscene amounts of money on unnecessary stuff that lasted like an hour. And I'm remembering I'm in whatever Barney's or Neiman Marcus, some crazy store, and I'm looking at a T-shirt at Gary, and it's like it's like two hundred dollars. And I'm going like, you know, I never bought a two hundred dollar T-shirt then, and I don't think I'm going to need a two hundred dollar T-shirt now. So I'm like, okay, well, that is a fail. So what do I do now? And so very quickly, I went into consulting and coaching. Mm-hmm. First, I did uh, work as a photo biz coach mm-hmm. for a number of years, but realized that the entire industry was imploding further and further and further and further. And then I you know, expanded it to more creatives. 
But right. creatives have such a hard time investing in their own business skill. They rather want to buy the computer or the camera right. or the equipment. God forbid we learn how to run a business and make more money that way. <laughs> it's always the equipment that's at that. Have that's you the one seen thing. This Photoshop action. I'm going to make a bundle off this, right? <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. And so ultimately, then I went into just general business consulting mm -hmm. as the growth architect, helping people to really de develop strategies and systems and build the authority when they're ready and they realize they've tried everything else and maybe mm -hmm. it is time to have a strategy. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Photo retailers, energize your sales with ShareMe Chat, the proven texting platform. Using chat-to-text on your website keeps your customers connected and buying. See us at Pro and IPI to find out why dealers using ShareMe Chat close more sales without adding staff. Find out more at shareme.chat. Now, when all this was going on with the sale of your business, it was a recessionary period, much like we're in now. Um, was that a concern for you? Uh, in terms of saying, well, maybe I need to wait this out or maybe this isn't the time. What was your thought then? I have a great philosophy about that. And it's a very simple question that I'll, I'll just ask your audience. If all your competitors are going to stop to advertise and promote, what do you think you should be doing? Mm -hmm. The opposite. Down. Yeah, exactly. So... When when I found that people are occupied with the, believing the on chatter in their head, so technically we're not even in a recession, like right. by the definition of a recession, we're not even in it. But mm -hmm. even though we try to talk ourselves into it with the right. media over and over and over again, but I come from media, so I know exactly what media is doing. So I'm listening to this, I'm looking at all the filler words and all the fear-based crap and AI-generated news. <laughs> I'm going like, I'm not believing any of this. Right. Because when I go in the Apple store, I see people buying watches and phones. And when I go to Costco, the line is just as long as it has always been. So clearly people are spending money. So the question is not, are people spending money? They are. The question is, what are they spending money on? Right. That means whatever your services or products are, you now have to adjust them so that it is relevant for where the market is at right now. Right, right, right. So the first thing, I'm just give you an example. So the first thing that we did is we looked at things that we are publishing. Like I have a program, it's like a $7 program called the Airtight Avatar, where I teach people how to do a customer profile and to understand how to, I have a method on how to crawl into someone's mind. Right. That's the first thing we did. We went back and we said, is the language that we're using relevant to what's going on right now? Is the $7 product that we're offering relevant to what's going on right now. And so we had to revamp it, rebrand it, you know, rewrite it, write a different hook and put it out in the market. Then we have a free quiz, the growth blocker quiz for people to find out what the number one growth blocker is. Mm -hmm. So we first tried a headline and said, do you want to find an opportunity in this market? Which we thought was a great headline. Right. Didn't resonate. When we changed the headline to, do you feel stuck? Do you want to be unstuck? suddenly there's traction. Right. So that's really what 
I think is important right now and what was important then is that you need to look at what the market is actually doing right get out of your own way stop believing everything you think and take a look at the numbers and the data and what is happening and then mm. you need to adjust what you're doing to suit the need now in the language that they're speaking because yeah, there's a lot of belief that you know photography i'm using kind of a i'm doing the air quotes thing um you know it's recession proof right in the sense that there's always events people would take pictures of, and there's always gift-giving opportunities. Now, in the film days, that was fine because you could make money on the capture side by send, by buying, you know, selling in film and processing film and make money off that. That's clearly gone away for the most part. And then there's, uh, and then the output side, you know, you had to print your pictures, your film pictures, to, to see them, right? You don't have to do that anymore. But there's still the belief that, you know, gift giving and wall decor and all those are still great opportunities. Do you have a insight into that as sort of, you know, what numbers people should be looking for in terms of the categories that they're offering that might give them some insight? Well, number one, you need to look at what is important to people right now. Mm, right. What's important right now is happiness, purpose, passion. Mm -hmm. A lot of Gen Z is refusing to be in this rat race that we have created mm -hmm. for businesses. So if I think about the mindset of someone and then right. I see them going home, what is it that I can offer to them that I feel will make their life better, happier, more purpose-driven? Right. So that means I would want to give them probably a co-creation opportunity mm -hmm. to okay. say if everybody's a creator, that's a that's a message that immediately resonates. It feels good when I say that out loud. Mm -hmm. So if I give somebody an opportunity to co-create, which is why Canva is so popular, because sure. it allows everybody to be a great designer with absolutely no, no background. Mm -hmm. And I can say I did it. Right. And I can be in the illusion that I actually created this, which I did based mm -hmm. on other people's templates. So... Mm -hmm. And what you have a lot of help people? from the tools that they provide. Well, of course, and they're getting better and better and better now, especially with AI. So I would give people a co-creation opportunity. Then I would give them an idea to say, do people want more or do people want less? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that, people want less, but mm -hmm. better stuff. Mm -hmm. So then I would, would get rid of the tchotchkes like the cheap stuff and i would say here is the thing that has value and here's why it has value mm, right and so i reverse engineer that i always think about this when you crawl into the minds of someone so the exercise is very simple so think about it this way this woman wakes up she's 36 she has two kids wakes up one of the kids has fever she has to find somebody who takes care of her kid um, mother-in-law that she doesn't even like. She goes to work. She's late. She has to throw up on her blouse. The boss calls her in, you know, that jerk that he was golfing with that you didn't even know about because you had a birthday party for your baby, uh, made up some rumor about you that have you that you have to defend yourself against that you didn't even know. So you're in a miserable mood. You go in your office, the phone rings, it's you. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say to this person mm -hmm. so that they say, I'm so glad you called and not Oh, a marketer. Mm -hmm. Thank right. you for calling. Right. And then just let it rip on you. 
So if you understand the mindset of the person, so this is then a mother of two, right? So she's mm-hmm. completely stressed out. So what can I give her that gets her in a better in a better mindset? Well, I want to remind her that it is her two children that she puts up with all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. So how can I put these two beautiful children in front of her? You mm-hmm. know, would she want that on a calendar? Would she want that on a phone? Would she want that in a phone case? Would she want that as little VIP buttons to give out? I mean, whatever that might be. So right, that's right. how you need to start thinking. How can I help people to get what they believe in mm-hmm. in front of more people to get them in a state of mind that they need to be in? Right. Because I think traditionally, like for most of the segment, for this audience, uh, the photo lab, the printer things, they tend to be very production orientated, right? We can now make this on this surface and it's great. People will want it, but they really don't know, right? No. I mean, because they don't. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is great that people make, right? I mean, the printing on bamboo and ceramic and metal and canvas, this is all great stuff. No one's ever asked for that, right? No, no. one's ever said, I, I want this. What, what are some of the ways that someone may test out some of these ideas when they come up with maybe a new process? They say, you know, this might be a new hot thing. How can they kind of test it out there, even if they're not even national, let's say they're in a local market where they want to try it out. Yeah. Well, the way you do it is you, you have to think about this in three categories, right? So Mm -hmm. the one category is that the problem that they're having, Mm -hmm. the second thing is what you are offering. And the third thing is the outcome. Right. And then you have to talk about that, the problem that they're having and the outcome that they want and then make your product the vehicle. Right. But you can't talk about your product. Right. You have to say that a woman like this, just to say within the example, mm-hmm. she does not believe in the traditional form of Walmart, Target photo studio, you know, mall photo studios, mm-hmm. regular right. family portraits where everybody wears a, a white shirt and blue jeans. Mm-hmm. So not she that wants something wrong with that, but she's not. No. A- this particular one no but other people of course do so now thinking along the line is what would be a creative way for her to get involved well Mm -hmm. have you ever thought about that there are other things other than a photo what do you mean well we are now doing pieces that look a lot more artistic that are now at the i'm riffing here the intersection of fine art Mm-hmm. and photography right and now we can take photos of your children or family photos and we can incorporate this in this cutting edge beautiful process award-winning mm-hmm. that's flying off the shelves that doesn't look like a regular photo that just looks like an art piece right you know is it something yeah. we can show you what that would look like mm-hmm. would you like to try that out have you thought you know the other thing is in the gift giving especially with, you know, whatever the gift giving season ahead of us to say, do I need another purse? No. Do I want another red sweater? No. Mm-hmm. Do I need another cashmere sweater? No. Do I another, need another wallet, keychain? <laughs> Why don't you give something that, that preserves a moment in time mm-hmm. that is has a high value or is perceived as a high value? So that's what I would do is I would really think about, I always think about my buyer. 
Mm-hmm. What is their problem? Right. Where where are they at? What can I give them that makes their lives better? That's mm-hmm. what you need to think about. Because I think you're right. I mean, I think people, you know, when things become economically constrained, you know, whether you believe what's in the press or not, people will spend money, continue to spend money on things that are, you know, meaningful to them personally, right? I mean, they may decide, you know, shoot, I don't need this. I don't, you know, to save six or seven bucks a month, I don't need this streaming service because I hardly watched it. I don't need to have that, right? It's no big deal. Uh, but they certainly As will. As Disney just found out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Streaming services are an optional purchase. Or may, maybe that, you know, wall tile display of your child growing up over the years is not. Because that's something that maybe that young mom needs to see every day at the office to get her through it. Because she's putting up with this nonsense. <laughs> right. Exactly. She has to stay where she's at so she can leave at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so she she's reminded what she's doing it for. So right. that's, I think, where I would be. You know, I'm I'm actually have I'm talking to somebody who's doing wall printing where you can mm-hmm. print directly on the wall, which yeah. is kind of like a yeah. super cool, super cool technology. So then I would go and I, I, I would take that and I would say, you don't want to buy the decal. Mm-hmm. You want to be creative, but your brush strokes a little shaky. Right. What if. We help you to create a design, right? Maybe with your children together, with a family together, mm-hmm. and then we'll print it directly on the wall, and it's all yours, right? What about you know? Have you thought about creating you know in the dining area a more more lively scenario? I mean, there's lots of different things, but I always you know it always goes back down to is like what is this person? What are they envisioning? So if I had a wall wall mm-hmm. printer right now, and mm-hmm. I would target families with kids? You know, it's interesting you said because there's so many people who feel creatively inhibited, right? Because it used to be back in the days of film photography, people would always say if something went wrong with a picture, right? They got their film back and they got the prints. They looked at them and they weren't very good. They always blame themselves. It wasn't the fact maybe the camera didn't work right or they didn't load the thing right, whatever. And now, but now there's more and more tools that are available that can bring up people's artistic capabilities and kind of, I think, overcome a lot of that. Well, I mean, if you look at now another trend, so what we're hearing in corporations is that people say you need to be creative and think innovative. Right. Wait, did you just not tell me that you were beating this out of everybody over the last couple of years to be creative and to hunker down and get stuff done? And now you want them to be (laughs) what? Creative and innovative? Right. What does that even mean? Right. So now, wait, we just had another idea. So can you take this to an organization and said, are you telling people to be creative, but you don't explain to them how that works? Right. Because creativity is a muscle that you have to train. Why don't you let me come in and do a, you know, do a creative program and Mm -hmm. we create something together and then they'll get the print on the wood so they can hang it on the wall. Mm -hmm. And we teach people the concept of creativity and the confidence that goes into into what it takes to be creative and we teach them design thinking or whatever other things they are. Right. So there's another idea. So that's that's how I always think, like, how can I package and present this right now in this market? How, what do we need to say right now to get people's attention? Now, this sounds like it's a very long and involved process, but is it really or is this part of an ongoing practice that someone should be doing in their business? Well, I mean... 
I'm a, definitely a little bit of an information junkie. I, you know, <laughs> we, we do look at Google trends and we do look at keyword searches and we do look what's trending on YouTube and we do mm-hmm. look what is working right now and what is not working right now. I can tell you that high ticket sales for marketers are not doing as well as they did. Why? Because people used all their company's money to buy all the stuff when they were paid for it. And now they're sitting on tens of thousands of hours of undone education. Now they need somebody to do it for them. Right. That people have less spending money. So now they need to figure out how I'm going to maximize the money that I have and right. make myself look really good without doing that. So this information is all available. You just have to have some basic curiosity mm-hmm. and read what's going on in the market. So instead of going to whatever Fox, CNN, MSNBC, or whatever you're listening to, <laughs> right. just take the time and look at trends and mm-hmm. look at what the data says, and then mm-hmm. look at if what you are offering is relevant in mm-hmm. relationship to that. I mean, you have a podcast. Is this some of the things you share in your podcast? Yeah. So the Business Growth Architect show is my podcast. And we talk Mm -hmm. on the podcast a lot about strategies, lots about mindset, Mm -hmm. also swimming Mm -hmm. against the the, the stream here a little bit Mm -hmm. to say, how do we how do we get ourselves in control over our own destiny? How do I what strategies and systems and authority building measures are out there that I can use today? So that's what the show is about. That's cool. So where can people go? Obviously, they can look up the podcast, but where can they get to more information about the programming that you offer? Well, before I send them there, I want them to go to your show, Gary. (laughs) And I want them to go to wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please give Gary a five-star review plus a comment. And the comments are really, really critical because it shows the algorithm engagement, and then he can reach more people and bring this information to an industry that let's just face it all people is a little bit in distress. So we can help, we can help more people. So help Gary out and then share this episode with one other person who needs to hear what we talked about today. Now, where you can find me is you go to uh, check out the quiz, go to growthblockerquiz.com Mm -hmm. And find out what is your number one business growth blocker. It's free. And then you get a report where I'll tell you exactly what to do about it. And then if you choose to, we can have a conversation about it. And I'm always here to help. Make sure you mention Gary's podcast so that we can give you priority treatment. I'm all over social media. Follow me on Instagram. Reach out. Ask a question. I'm here to help. Great. Well, listen, great to meet you. I think you have some great comments and advice for folks and looking forward to uh, connecting with you in the future. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.